Do you have any superstitions? Walking under ladders, black cats, a team jersey on game day? No matter how big or small, most of us know the popular ones. But what about superstitions and customs from outside the Western world? Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Allison Hong Merrill. Allison was born and raised to adulthood in Taiwan before coming to the U.S. on a student visa. What she experienced was a massive culture shock. The things we do and why we do them are commonplace to us, but can be taboo just across the ocean. We use Taiwanese and Chinese a bit interchangeably throughout this interview because, as I found out from Allison, they are extremely similar and have a huge overlap. So put the political thoughts to the side and just enjoy some fascinating facts about our fellow humans from another shore. I'm not sure what it was, but at some point in this interview it just became like trading ghost stories at a sleepover and it was so much fun for us. So I hope you all enjoy it as well. I want to acknowledge that Allison is also a big fan of this show and has been since before we met officially. I think it's incredible that I've gotten to a place where my audience enjoys the show so much that they want to get involved. So, in honor of this momentous occasion, I'd like to invite any listener who really knows a lot about something or is passionate to send me an email, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or reach out to me on any of the show pages. It could be about anything at all. You might be really good at pumping fuel or just really into collecting card games. Anything that you're interested in and would be willing to teach me. I want to hear about it. All that aside, let's remember about 58% better. Just remember that for later, okay? Trust me, 58% better. Welcome to the show, Allison Hong Merrill. Thank you so much, Colton. I am so glad to have you on the show. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, it's a great honor for me to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Why don't you tell the audience about yourself? Yes, I will. So my name is Allison Hong Merrill. I was born and raised in Taiwan, and I came to the United States when I was 22. So I came as an adult to um, go to school, um, even though I had a student visa to go to school at the time, uh, my English really was only at a three-year-old proficiency. It was really, really bad, but I could read and write just fine. And so in a way, it was the complete opposite of how a human being's natural learning process was, you know, how for a a baby for a little a, a young child, the child was exposed to spoken language first before this child started to learn to read and write, right? But for me, as a young immigrant student, when I first came to America, I I was doing the opposite. I could read and write better than I could speak. And also when I first came to America, there were a lot of things that I saw in America that shocked me. So yeah, it was like this huge culture shock 
in so just in so many things, so many um, everyday events. And so till this day, I sometimes am still shocked in the things that I'm still learning about American culture. Well, yeah, and coming from, you know, completely the outside. Yeah. Number one, congratulations on learning English. I have heard it is a terrible language. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to learn. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, also like there there are such massive changes that I don't think most of our anyone in the world is really exposed to. If you don't get outside of, you know, wherever it is you're from, like even in the US, like you can be shocked by going from east to west coast. Right. Yeah. 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 So going from another country entirely across an ocean over to here, like that is quite the shock. Yes, exactly. And so I really appreciate um, this opportunity today to come and share with you and your audience about the, the culture shock and the differences I have noticed between um, t- uh, Taiwanese and Chinese culture and American culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to hear about it. So, I mean, let's let's jump right in. Like, what was the first just like major shock? Well, the first thing is that I noticed that here in America, people sometimes when they give gifts to people, they would give a clock. Like, it's okay to give a clock to somebody as a gift. But in Chinese, people don't, uh, in Chinese culture, people don't do that because in the Chinese language, the word for clock and the word for the end are homophones. And so the act of giving someone a clock can be interpreted as a wish for the recipient's life to end. Wow. So, yeah, even though it's, I mean, it's superstition, you know, but in Chinese culture, giving someone a clock is considered a metaphorical act of malice. So hardly anyone does it. Wow. That's really crazy because we give them uh, like frequently as gifts. Like if yeah. you're you're spent 20 years with a company, they hand you a watch and they're like, oh, here's this, here's this nice watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, yes, I know that is a common phenomenon here in America. And when I first saw it, I was shocked. But obviously, you know, I have this <laughs> cultural condition growing up in Chinese culture. And so I was obviously observing the phenomena from a Chinese person's point of view. But now I'm getting used to how, you know, seeing people giving clocks as a gift here in America. It was like no big deal. <laughs> but Chinese people don't do it. Yeah, I mean, that's an easy one for me because like I like watches. So I, you know, I wear watches. I've bought watches. I have bought watches as gifts. I would have been shocked that like I hand it to someone and their expression was just like bad and then horrified when I learned right. like what I just did. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, another thing that I've noticed is that so um, in Chinese language, the number four, like one, two, three, four, the number four and the word for death are also homophones. So in Taiwan, where I where I'm from, in multi-level buildings, especially in a hospital, you will not find the fourth floor because that's the level of death, right? So nobody wants to live 
on the fourth floor or the the death floor. So when you get into an elevator, you will see, you know, how there are buttons for you to push to get to take you to whatever level you're going. So you will see one, two, three, five, and then go on. You will not see number four or level four. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I mean, we have a similar one where we have like the number 13. And right. I know that's like a super old, like British English. Mm-hmm. superstition that just like carried into culture today where right. we we don't have 13th floors it's like 12 14 right yeah and i mean since we're talking about numbers uh, so in chinese culture people believe that the number six is a very lucky number and it, if you have double six so the number 66 is considered really lucky. In fact, there's a, a Chinese idiom that says liu liu da shun. That means six, six, the number 66 means big, smooth. That means everything will go smoothly in your life. It's a good thing, number 66. And then, well, I came to America and people say, well, number 666 is a bad number, right? Right, Probably you're like referring to uh, the biblical message, and so I'm like, "What? Six is a good number. Six six is a good number. Six 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 is a like triple good." <laughs> They're like, "No, it's a bad number." <laughs> so there, yeah, like this, you know, cultural difference. Yes. Yeah, you're like writing sixes all over your binder for good luck, and they're like, <laughs> no, "Oh no, someone report her." <laughs> I, yeah, that's funny. Um, but then, well. This might be very interesting to you. So we're still talking about numbers. (laughs) In Chinese, the number eight and the word prosper are homophones. And so needless to say, eight is a lucky number too. And many Taiwanese people try to request a phone number or a license plate or an apartment unit number with as many eights in it as possible. And you might remember the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, right? Okay, Beijing is in China and people who live in China are Chinese people. And they obviously obviously, um, live under the influence of Chinese culture. So the opening ceremony happened at 8 p.m. China Standard Time on August 8th, 2008, which was the eighth hour of the eighth day of the eighth month in the eighth year of the 2000s. And that's considered extremely auspicious. Yeah, I'm sure there was probably a lot of intent where they're like, no, it's going to happen exactly at this day and time. Yes. And people are like, it'd be really convenient if you just did it the next day. And they're like, no, it's going to be on the 8th. <laughs> Yes, it has to happen at that specific time, on that specific day, in that specific month, in that specific year. And interestingly enough, the eighth day of the eighth month every year, which is August 8th, is also the Chinese Father's Day. And this is also because in Chinese language, the number eight and the word father are also homophones. And so, like in Chinese, 
you will um, you will say father, baba, right? And the number eight is pronounced ba. And so when you put double eight together, that's father. That's how you say father. And that's why August 8th is Father's Day. Interesting. I wonder if if with like all these eights that popped up, if China did better in the Beijing Olympics than they did in like other Olympics and other places. I know. We should go back and count their gold medals and see how many they won that year. Yeah, I'll count that. I'll put it in the uh, the intro for people that are looking for it. I'm gonna be <laughs> yeah. like, you'll just remember this number for later. Yeah, ten percent, and then they're like, "What's ten percent mean?" And we'll find out. Like, oh, it's ten percent better. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. And so another thing is, um, this is very interesting. If you visit a Taiwanese family in Taiwan, chances are they would politely ask you to remove your shoes before you enter their home. It's a way to show respect and to honor their living space. And then once you enter their home, they might offer you sweets or fresh fruits or hot water even in the summertime when it's really hot outside they will offer you hot water and you might wonder why hot water because it's like you know taiwan is a very humid tropical island it's hot all the time but they drink hot water well this is the reason why because on average normal human body temperature is 98.6 degree fahrenheit which means our internal organs are stored comfortably in a warm environment, right? And if you have a can of soda that you put in the refrigerator, that can of refrigerated soda is about 35 degrees Fahrenheit. And what happens when you flush down 35 degree drinks into a 98.6 degree Fahrenheit body? Yeah, you're, right? you're cooling yourself down. Yeah, that's right. It's not good. And notice that our sweat and other bodily waste don't come out of our bodies at 30, 35 degree Fahrenheit. So that means, well, if you drink cold drinks, how much extra work would your digestive system have to do to turn icy cold soda into warm urine, right? And so that's why Taiwanese people serve you hot water instead of icy cold beverages to keep your stomach from overworking, to protect your physical health and to honor your body. Wow. So they're like, oh, here's this hot water. And you're like, wow, why would I drink hot water? And they're like, well, I didn't want you to, to stress your body by drinking cold water. Exactly. They're protecting your like, body. <laughs> you're like, well, now I have to drink this hot water because I feel like you've put a lot of work into this for me. Right. They had to boil it. They had to put in the word to protect you or to honor your body. Yeah. So it it's a gesture of you know respect. They respect you when they serve you hot water. Yeah. I and I guess that's very different from like the the American culture that we have, which is just like no one takes off our shoes anywhere. Yeah. And we like we'll offer our guests something, but it's usually really vague and kind of at a, a much later time. It's not like you walk in the house and we're like, oh hey, would you like this drink? We're like, yeah, there's stuff in the fridge. I don't know, get it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when I was growing up uh, in Taiwan, in our house, there was a uh, 
we didn't have a pantry in the kitchen, but we had like cupboards, you know, in the kitchen. And there was a section in the cupboard where sweets were, you know, uh, treats, snacks were stored there. And that, that section of the cupboard, everything in there uh, was prepared or reserved for house guests that we were not supposed to eat. And, you know, that's just so that whenever house guests come over, you will have, you will already have stuff ready to serve them. And, and I came here to America. I don't, it's just not the, the tradition or not, you know, it's not a habit. And right. so I don't, right now I don't, in my own house, I don't really have um, treats or snacks prepared for house guests. Yeah. Do you, Usually you think you had more guests like growing up than you do now? Yes. Yes. And that's another thing I've noticed. Um, maybe it's just how I came here um, to America and I, you know, I'm very shy and introverted and I did not make a lot of friends here, you know, but back home when I was younger, when I was in Taiwan, house guests will come unannounced. They never call for any appointment. They just show up. And if they show up, like I would do the same when I was in Taiwan, I would just show up in my friend's house. And if my friends were not home, I would just go visit another friend, you know, like, <laughs> and nobody would just call and say, hey, can I come visit you on Wednesday at eight o'clock or whatever? That did not happen. We just, maybe it's just because we we're uncultured. I don't know. Or maybe we were just like really close, you know, like we're close friends and we can just show up unannounced and that was okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it just, it makes Taiwan like such a more social place. Like you're always, you know, you have things for your guests that are always prepared or always stocked and you're just kind of like, oh, we can just show up at each other's houses. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas in, you know, in America, we're like, did you just show up at my house? Get out of here. Right. And it's so like, <laughs> it's so, it's so antisocial. Right. And we think like, well, it's polite to tell me first. And you're like, man, maybe, but also <laughs> like, I just wanted to see my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's very interesting. So here's another thing that's different. So in Taiwan, um, you know, students study really, really hard. They want to do well on tests and Taiwanese students do not eat beef before a school exam. Uh, that's my observation. Taiwanese students don't eat beef before a school exam because they pray to a specific God to bless them to do well on the test. And this God rides an ox, right? And so it's believed that the God will not bless the student who eats beef before a test. And that's why they don't eat beef. But after the test, go eat a lot of beef if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very like, if you think about it and you're like, oh, I'm going to ask, you know, this, I mean, you're literally like, I'm going to ask a God who rides, you know, a cattle type yeah, for help. And then I'm going to go eat a bunch of beef as if saying like, oh, it's cool. This is nothing like your thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't offend the gods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that, and I don't know, I don't even know, is there like a primary religion? in Taiwan? Uh, I, I think most people are Buddhists or Taoists. Um, that's, you know, two very prominent religions. 
Yeah. And there are also a significant percentage of the population who are Christians. Okay. I was just wondering, because you had said, you know, like, oh, you pray to this, you know, specific God. Yes. I was just thinking, like, is it polytheistic? Like, yes, yes. In, in Buddhism, in Taoism, uh, yes, they have more than one God. Interesting. Yeah, no, we have, um, I mean, as much as we say it in America, where we're like, no, there's a separation between church and state. Um, we also print, you know, in God we trust on our money. Right, right. Which is very like, you know, which one we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, oh, also there is this thing in Taiwan, um, in Chinese culture, Chinese married women don't take their husband's surname. So they keep their own, um, their maiden name. And so in a family, you will see um, the father and the children's surnames um, is Chen, for example. And the mother's surname is Lin, but they, they are, you know, they're a family. Yeah. And you always have the mother who has a different surname. That's very interesting. Because mm-hmm. I would have thought, like, I know somebody was telling me about a culture here recently where it was, you know, the opposite of how we do things here in, yeah. in the Western culture where we're like, oh, well, you know, women always take on the husband's name. Um, and somebody was just telling me there was another where they're like, oh, no, husbands actually take on the wife's last name. So this is, I mean, this is another interesting one where it's like, oh, we don't change our last names at all. We just, right. you know, like and our children use their father's last name and then we, you know, just move on. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's just a it's standard thing. I think we don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Yeah, I guess, you know, um, different cultures find something that works for them and they just go with it. Yeah. And also, because we're talking about Chinese women, traditionally, after a Chinese woman gives birth, she enters a month-long postpartum confinement, meaning she will not leave the house. She will not leave her bed if she can help it. Uh, She will do this to recover from the physical exhaustion of the grueling childbirth process. So typically in the first month, after giving birth, that woman will not leave the house. Yeah. Which I mean, speaks very much to like, you know, number one, yeah, you need to physically recover. You just went through a real journey, you know, exactly. um, but also kind of gives you the time to be like, Hey, you don't need to be going anywhere. Yeah. Like there should be somebody taking care of this for you because like, while you need your physical rest, there is also, I guess, a lot that's come out. It's just like you also need a lot of mental rest and recovery time, as exactly. well as time to just like bond with your newborn. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I like that. I like yeah. that practice. And also, Chinese people do not give their children patronymic names because they worship their ancestors and it's considered it's considered disrespectful to call a child by the name of one of their great gods. It's like people in the Christian world will not name a child Elohim. And so it's unseen in the Chinese culture that a child is a junior. Yeah. The third or, you know, whatever. They just don't take their father's or their grandfather's first name. They don't. 
Huh. Interesting. No, I mean, it's something I guess I've seen a lot of jokes about it too, where people are like, oh, you know, I'm uh, Chester Walter Rutherford, the eighth. And I'm like, man, that is a whole lot of the same person. Yeah. Yeah. But I also, you know, like one of my friends that I work with constantly is a junior and I never give it that much thought. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's just a thing we do where it's like, oh yeah, we picked the same name. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's another thing. So Taiwanese people, they don't write other people's names in red ink because in ancient times, criminals were sent to their public execution with a plaque tied to their backs. And on the plaque was the criminal's name written in chicken blood. And so if you write somebody's name in red ink, it's it's bad. It's like sending somebody to um, his execution. Yeah. I mean, that's, it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it brought a question up to me. Um, do you, in you know Taiwanese, Chinese culture, do you use middle names? I know we all have middle names here in the U.S. And for my experience, like most people don't do that. Right. So that's a, um, okay. So I will say no, but a very traditional or a typical Chinese name has three characters and Chinese people put a huge emphasis on the importance of family, so much so that they put their family name before their given name. And so in my case, my name is Allison Hong Merrill, but my Chinese name is Hong Ji Zhen. So Hong is my maiden name. So that's the surname I inherit from my father. And because my father and my ancestors, my family, they're so important to me and to all Chinese people, they will put their family name first before their given name. And a Chinese, a very typical and traditional Chinese name, well, I'm talking about given name now, a given name usually has two characters, right? And so, like I said earlier, my Chinese name is Hong, Jizhen. So Jizhen is my given name and there are two characters. And But in China, you will see a lot of people, um, they have only one character for their given name. So like Yao Min, right? The, the NBA player. Right. Yao Min is his full name. So Yao is his family name. Min is his given name. So if you were like really close to him, you would call him Min, 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 Min. Min is his given name. Uh, but everybody knows Mao Zedong, right? Yeah. Okay, so Mao Zedong, this name, Mao is his family name. And his given name is Zedong, right? And so I wouldn't say that Zedong, that Ze is his middle name. It's not. It's just his given name. There's no concept of middle name in in the chinese name yeah even though it, it sounds like there's that middle character and the end character but but no that those two characters are together as the middle i mean as the given name yeah interesting i guess i never thought about it but uh i mean i know like standard practice obviously 
is different here than there because we use our like given name first and then our family name. Yeah. Um, and I know just because we are exposed to all kind of, uh, you know, media that I have seen, you know, like family name first, then given name. I never gave any thought to like there being three names in there and like, oh, it's just normal that your first, your, your given name has two parts to it. Right. Because it was like, oh, that's just their name. And mm-hmm. I never gave it any more thought than that. I wasn't like, oh, is one of these a middle name? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But now, yeah, it's very interesting to delve deeper into um, how it works. And yeah. I, I like how, you know, learning about new things like this. Yeah, there's. it's just one of those because it's like middle names are nothing in America. We just like, you know, make them up off the top of our head just like a given name would be. Um, and sometimes they have some significance and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people are like, oh, well, we use the middle name for like, it was the mom's maiden name or, right. you know, it was your grandfather's name or it was whatever it was because like my middle name is the same as my father's middle name is the same as my grandfather's middle name. And I'm like, you know, we use that for everybody, but it's not a family name. So I don't right. know why we're doing yeah. it. <laughs> so I guess it's the family tradition. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, well, another thing that might be fascinating to you is that Taiwanese people don't look into a mirror and comb their hair at midnight because they believe that if you do that, you will see a ghost in the mirror. But when you look in the mirror, you're only seeing your own reflection. So if you're seeing a ghost, that means you're seeing your own death. So, well, it's superstition. So that's why they don't look in the mirror and comb their hair at midnight. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, vaguely like either like just death related things or like death might be near things that come up with these superstitions because it's like, let's see, what was the first, the clock? It's like, oh, death is coming. Mm -hmm. Um, The fourth, you know, number four, like, (laughs) signify death. Yeah, they're doing everything they can to avoid death. (laughs) Yeah, they are. It seems like it's on the mind a lot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, and so there's a common belief among Taiwanese people that if they open an umbrella indoors, it will summon a ghost to join them under the umbrella. So don't open an umbrella indoors because why would you? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's yeah. weird because we have that superstition, I guess. I know people have always told me like, oh, you never open a, an umbrella indoors. You don't do it. But no yeah. one's ever given me a reason why. Yeah. And that just makes me think like, oh, we have the same reasoning. It's just that no one understands where it came from. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah. Also, also, Taiwanese people don't clip or trim their fingernails or toenails at night because they believe that doing so would bring the curse of untimely death to their parents. <laughs> so now you not only worry about your own death, you worry about your parents' death and you want, you, you know, obviously you love your parents, you want them to live long and prosper. And so you don't trim your nails at night. Don't do it, Colton. I know it's tempting. <laughs> I, did, I, I just did that recently. <laughs> Don't I, I, apologize I, to your parents. <laughs> I call my mom. 
Yeah, yeah. Check on her and see if she's okay. Yeah. Also, Taiwanese people don't point at the moon with their fingers because they believe that doing so would cause their ears to be cut off. And I can tell you, who will cut off your ears if you point at the moon with your fingers? But just don't do it because you don't want to risk it. <laughs> oh man! It. <laughs> I know you're rebellious. You want to try it, but don't. No, I mean that would make my headphones really hard to fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These are just really fun to to learn about. I mean, I pointed at the moon before. My ears are just fine. Oh no. You're you're a risky person. Yeah, just I just constantly. don't hear very well. I I have selected hearing. Oh, see, that's that's from pointing at the moon. Yeah. <laughs> that's what really happened. Yep, yep. Okay, so did you know that Taiwanese people they don't insert chopsticks upright into a bowl of rice because that action is only done to honor the dead. So when you're eating. A bowl of rice. You don't. Sorry, you don't um, insert your chopsticks upright into the center of the bowl and have it have the chopstick just stand there upright. Oh. That's like you're ready to to make sacrifice or offerings to the dead. Yeah, and it seems like that is something we probably do quite a lot and don't think about. Is mm -hmm. just like we put our utensils dead in the center of things because yeah. you're like, oh look, it stands up straight. <laughs> yeah yeah and i guess you know people from other cultures probably come here and you're like what are you doing i know they're like horrified oh don't you're yep. like what it'll hold your chopsticks for you and you're like i need a new bowl <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny so another thing that taiwanese people avoid doing is that they try not to fidget or toe tap like you know how when you're sitting there at your desk and you fidget and, or you tap your toes, Colton. I know you do that all I, the time. I, do, I, I mean, I can see your toes right I now. I was doing it. Probably just like, oh, very conscious right now. It's believed that a man who fidgets is a poor fellow, and a woman who fidgets is a base individual. That's very harsh. <laughs> so yeah. don't do it. I was fidgeting while you said that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Me too. <laughs> Instead of people saying don't do it, and then you're like, oh, really? Really? Stop me. It's right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, another thing is if you're like talking to a Taiwanese person, and sometimes this, well, I shouldn't say sometimes, it happens all the time. A Taiwanese person might use his index finger to write a Chinese character in the air or on the palm of their his of his hand to show you the word he's talking about. Like he will write something in the air and expect you to know what he's writing. He's like, you write it, right? And then he's like, see, see, that's the word I'm talking about. And you're supposed to know what, like pretend you actually can't see. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, okay, oh, that's the word, good. <laughs> I know, I'm just... <laughs> confused, what did he just write? I'm going to hand you a pen and a piece of paper. Please write this down for me. Yeah, yeah. Instead of doing it in the air, or they will write it on the palm of their hands and then show it to you, show you their palms. Like, see, right here. Right? They show you the palm, and there was nothing on the palm. And you're just like, mm, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then 
Taiwanese people also believe that when you are really nervous, it will help ease your nerve if you write with your index finger on the palm of your hand the Chinese character for people. So you'll write it on the palm of your hand, right? Just air write it. Yeah. And then pretend that you grab that character from your palm and eat it, swallow it. Okay. And that will help you to stop being nervous. <laughs> I tried that before our interview. <laughs> Do you want I, to? I'm still nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it sounds like it would help me just because I don't have any like basis for the superstition, but it would make me laugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> If somebody saw me doing it, they're like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I was just writing the symbol for people and then eating it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'd I be would... like, "What?" <laughs> I, know. I know. Don't worry about it. Yeah, do, do for what works for you. I, I mean, like, it probably this worked for somebody before, you know. And so this person is like, "Hey, you guys need to try this." Oh, Colton, we need to have more faith in other people. Yeah. If they tell you this works, try it. It won't hurt. Yeah. You're all just pretending. <laughs> Okay, another thing. Taiwanese people, especially couples, don't cut a pear, like the fruit pear. They don't cut a pear in half and share because that means the relationship will end in separation or a breakup. Oh. So they don't do it. So you just cut smaller pieces? No, you just eat it yourself. Oh. You don't share. <laughs> there is no sharing this pear. No sharing. But you can share the fruit, just not pear. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you pick up the pear and your partner's like, can I have some? And you're like, no, you got to get your own. Yeah. <laughs> this, or this is my pear. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to get separate? you want to get split up? <laughs> I know, right? I have to eat it's this pear by myself. business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So now this is very interesting. I think it's very interesting. Taiwanese people have two methods for calculating their ages. One is how everybody else does it, counting the days, months, and years of a person's life starting from his birth date. And the other way is to add a year to a person's actual age, making it his nominal age, because a person's life started before his birth, when he grew and developed as a fetus. And Taiwanese people round up the full term gestation to a year and declare that this time is so significant and monumental, it should not be forgotten or discounted. Essentially, a person's actual age is when he left his mother's body. And the person's nominal age is when he left his father's body. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. Do they use like your nominal age for anything? Or is it just like you just keep track of it? You keep track of it. And sometimes you tell people, you know, uh, for example, when I was little, my mother taught me to tell people I was five years old when I was only four years old. And I was confused because I knew I was four, but I was supposed to tell people I was five. And the concept of nominal age did not come to me much later. 
And that's when I'm like, oh, okay. I'm when I tell people my nominal age, it's because I'm counting the time when my mother was carrying me when I was a fetus. And that whole full gestation um, months, like nine months, was rounded up to a full year, and you know, add to my actual age. It's all like, I don't know. You're honoring life from the very beginning. Sure. Yeah. You're just saying like, look, this was, this was a process to put together. I know yeah. you see it in front of you and you think this is a completed work, but it started somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so we're keeping track of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, uh, Taiwanese people or Chinese people, they have two ways of calculating their ages and they, they might tell you one way or the other, but you know, if you're not really, if you're just an acquaintance, they won't probably go through the trouble to tell you, well, my nom- nominal age is this and my actual age is this. I'm like, well, oh, do people really care? Yeah. yeah. Like you, uh, you meet somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 23. And then later, for some reason, you look at their driver's license. You're like, hey man, you're 22. And they're yeah. like, no, no, I'm 23. <laughs> or you like, you, you tell people you're 21, you go to a bar. Yeah. Exactly. You really are not. <laughs> That's where I was like, can you use this nominal age for other things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So let's see. So when Taiwanese people, when they receive a physical object from others, like a business card or a small gift or an award certificate at a ceremony, etc., they will receive this thing with both hands. You know, they don't take it with one hand. They, they receive things with both hands and the slight nod of the head, like a, a very small bow of their head. And that is very typical, very common. You see that, you know, at most of the school assemblies, when you have a kid go up there to receive an award or a, a certificate, that student will receive this certificate with a bow of his head and then he will receive receive it with both his hands and that's considered really reverent and respectful yeah i mean that would make sense to me because you're saying like this is so important i wouldn't yeah. dare only grab it with one hand yeah and then turn turn around and walk away you know yeah like i'm going to acknowledge that i'm getting this and i'm going to make sure that you know i am holding on to this literally with all of the hands that i can hold on to this with exactly Whereas a lot of times I think like, I'm trying to think of my own, like my personal way I do things. People will hand me things and I just kind of like, I try and take it and then like hold it away from myself oh. <laughs> as if to say like, not that it's not important, but like, I don't want to acknowledge that this is the only reason I'm being nice to you. Oh, okay. Like, I'm yeah. nice because we're friends and I don't want this I, to be okay. in between us. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's just something weird that I do for myself. I just like grab it and then I like will move it out from in between us. So right. that I'm like, this isn't yeah. the reason that we are hanging out. Nice. Oh, that's that's very interesting to to see it from your perspective. That makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. I'm gonna start my own my own movement. <laughs> that's gonna be the new thing. <laughs> I was thinking, what will make me like to show my inner reverence? Yeah. I'm very respectful. Okay, so another thing is that typically 
Taiwanese books, magazines, and newspapers will read from right to left. However, under the Western influences, more and more Chinese books, magazines, and newspapers are printed the same way that English publications are from left to right. But when you go to a bookstore or a library in Taiwan and you, you look at those Chinese books, a lot of them are still, they open from the right and you read it from right to left like that. That's interesting to see like mm -hmm. a cultural change for such an important medium that you're like, yeah, this is how we're reading things currently. Right. To, to see it changing in real time is kind of a, a bizarre change because yeah. otherwise, yeah, I know there, there are several languages like, um, I mean, it's the same thing I know as far as Japanese goes, that like it reads right to left. Like a lot of scripted languages like that all read right to left. Right. Um, it's interesting to hear, though, that they're like, oh, yeah, we're starting to print things left or right. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. So I would like to tell you a little bit about the significance of colors in Chinese culture. Right. Um, first is yellow. The color yellow represents royal power. In ancient China, an emperor was considered the son of God and everyone else was the son of man. And so the color of the sun is gold or yellow. So only the emperor and the empress wore yellow clothing. And commoners like you and me, we will wear other colors, but not yeah. yellow. You're like we wouldn't dare wear yellow because mm -hmm, no. the insinuation. Yeah. But now it's okay. There's now there's no um, emperors. There's no empress. We're, we're all the same. Yeah, you just kind of. I mean, I think we have the same thing from like a uh, a British influence where it's like, oh, purple, like because purple was very royal forever, yeah. and yes. now we look at purple and you're like, ah, oh, this thing must be nice because of the color it's in. Like, yeah. I assume yeah. there's some carryover where you're like, oh, yellow, huh? Very mm -hmm. nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also, I think this is, most people know that red is a celebratory color in Chinese culture. It's used for wedding, birth, job promotion, bribery, or Chinese New Year. Yeah. As long as you don't write somebody's name in it. Exactly. Don't write people's name in red ink because you're condemning that person to have a public execution. That's not good. Don't do it. Right. It's all celebratory until it's not. Exactly. It's all <laughs> fun games until somebody gets hurt. Okay. And the color white is associated with death. Oh. Used for funeral. I mean, like traditional funeral, you know. Yeah. But, um, but more and more, because the Western culture is pretty uh, prominent in, in uh, Asia now, and so you will see that at a wedding, the bride will wear a white wedding dress. But a traditional Chinese wedding, the bride will wear red instead of white. Now, it's interesting to, to hear white because I'm like, we have such this, you know, the view where you're like, oh, white is either like, you know, health or purity or, or something like that. And 
black is the color that we're like, oh, you're going to die. And then <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. So the color white and we use it for, you know, death and funerals. And it's like, oh, that's not at all what we use it for. <laughs> I know. That's very interesting. Although I will say my first thought when you're like, oh, yeah, we associate white with death. And I'm like, well, that's not good for all the hospitals that are painted white. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's very interesting. Very good, Colton. You paid attention. <laughs> okay, so now this might be shocking to you, but a Chinese married man will not wear a green hat unless he is sending a message to the world that his wife is cheating on him. So a green hat is a no-no. No man will wear a green hat. <laughs> And what a weird way to to talk about it. If so, if you're like, find out your wife's cheating on you, and then you just reach into the closet and put the green hat on. <laughs> I know. That's Walk sad. outside. Everybody's like, is that a green hat? Does he know he's wearing a green hat? Yeah. Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And then people start looking at you with sympathy, like, oh, sorry that happened to you. You're dealing with this. You just give them that nod, like, I know, I know. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. <laughs> Yeah. So Colton, that's everything I have to share with your audience today. Yeah, I appreciate it. This has been awesome because like, it's so interesting to hear about a culture that is, you know, not your norm. Right. We're like, oh, what, what's different between us? We're all the same person, right? Yeah. And you're like, I mean, we're the same person separated by thousands of miles and a vastly different history, but yeah, we're all people. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's just so fun to learn about other cultures, you know, what they believe and what they avoid. And but ultimately, I feel like when we are exposed to other cultures, we learn about them and we learn their way of life. And then we are able to love and appreciate, appreciate and accept them more because now it feels like these people are my people. I know what they're thinking, you know, I know what they live for. And so you feel that closeness with those people. And I feel like that's a blessing because then you won't have uh, misunderstanding or judgment for those people that you, you don't know, because what I, I feel like people fear things that they don't know, you know, that's why people fear death because people, most people don't know what happens after death. And that's why they're try- trying so hard to avoid death, right? Like yeah. <laughs> you know, Chinese people, they also, some people uh, study feng shui and they will um, arrange their furniture in the house in a way to avoid bad luck or to avoid death. And ultimately, you know, in the end, we're all the same. We all want to love. We all want to be loved. We all want to be happy. And we want to avoid bad things as much as we can, right? And so with that understanding, it probably will not be that shocking to to know that, oh, Chinese people avoid doing this, they avoid doing this because their desire really is the same as as you. They just want to be, they just want to live long and prosper. Yeah. Well, and it's such an important part of this show that I feel I haven't gotten to to dig deeply into because there's so many, you know, cultural differences or lifestyle differences that like, I mean, I'll be doing this show forever because I'm never going to run out of topics at this point, 
but you know, I get to talk to people who have, you know, careers that they come on and talk about, or they have, you know, practices that they come on and talk about, or they have, you know, like, oh, this mindset that you want to take on. But it's so rare, I feel, that I get to take on something like this, where it's like it's very cultural. Right. And it, it's just like, let's, you know, part of the show is understanding and learning. Right. This is just a different aspect of that. And I, I think it's awesome. So I am so happy I could have you on because this has just been super fun. Yeah. Um, I did want to give you a chance to, you know, talk and tell people where they can find you and what you're doing. And, you know, obviously you have a book out that we haven't talked about that, you know, needs to get plugged. Yeah. Thank you so much, Colton. So I um, have a book. It's titled 99 Fire Hoops. And even in the book title, there's a metaphor in it because the number 99 in Chinese language is a metaphor for eternity. Right. And um, so 99 Fire Hoops means eternal fire hoops. And fire hoops is another metaphor for challenges for obstacles. So life sometimes feels like you're just jumping through endless challenge, you know, you know fire hoops and challenges and just feels like, oh, this, uh, there's a saying in Chinese that life is a sea of suffering. And it, it just feels like it never ends that all these hardship, you know, all the suffering, it feels that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can I mean, you can train your mind to believe otherwise, right? And so the book is basically about the power of choice. You can choose your attitude. You can choose your thoughts and you can think your own way out of misery if you want to. Okay? And so the book is available wherever books are sold. So if you usually purchase books on Amazon, you will find it on Amazon. And if you usually buy books, uh, Barnes and Noble, you will find it at Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Well, people should go check it out. Um, as I always say, if you buy this digitally or you buy the book from Amazon, leave a good review on it because it helps other people find this book and then they can also enjoy it and then they should be leaving reviews. And that just like it helps the whole process. Exactly. And thank you so much for mentioning that because. I do greatly appreciate reviews on Amazon or on other um, websites to help spread the word. So thank you so much for doing that, Colton. So nice of you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on and, you know, just like getting to chat with us for a while. It's been a lot yeah, of fun. It's a great honor for me. Thank you. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. Subscribe wherever you're listening from. And remember to tell people that you know about this show that you maybe enjoy, hopefully. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. And remember, like I said at the top of the episode, I want to hear from my audience on if they would be willing to come into this show to share their passions or careers. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else you can find us. That's all for now. I hope you enjoy your weekend, and I'll see you all Monday for the next psychologically deep diving episode. Buh bye bye